Yes, hello, how are we doing? Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Not The Top 20 podcast. This is the Monday pod. We are sponsored by Betfair. I'm Ali Maxwell and with me, George Alec. George, how are you doing? Yeah, Ali Maxwell. I'm George Alec and I'm okay. Uh, I am excited for what is one of the biggest weeks of our lives. We're all business today because we've got a lot to do because yeah. many people will have seen this. Some people might not have. We have got our own show on Sky Sports. There's no other way of saying it. We've got our own show and it goes out on Friday on Sky's football channel at 6pm. What is it? Why are we doing it? Where's it come from? Oh my God, we've got our own show. It's come from your iPhone notes, isn't it? From 2018. Um, it is EFL 21 under 21. It's going to be, hopefully, I mean, this is the the inaugural one. Fingers crossed if things go well, it'll become an annual show. Uh, one hour of Ali and me sitting on a Sky Studio sofa going through the 21 players that we think in the EFL aged 21 or under at the beginning of this calendar year who we think are destined to be the best players that we can select that there are a couple of caveats we've had a few people message us already with, with suggestions on who, who on who should be in it uh, no player who's played can't remember if we decided it was five or ten Premier League games but one of those two so basically no one who's, who's played a few Premier League uh, matches or more than a few uh, nobody who's moved for a big money transfer and no players who are on loan from Premier League clubs. Uh, we've gone through and chosen our 21, which is exciting. And I, I think there's a couple in there that people will be surprised on there. I think there's a couple in there that people will be surprised aren't on there. But we had to ch- we had to trust our gut, trust our eyes when we were watching the clips and make decisions based on who we think are going to go to the top. I've been trusting my eyes and my gut for my whole life, George. And that's why I'm slightly overweight. So <laughs> no point stopping now. We've put so much work into this. As you, as you mentioned... I have a note on my phone, proof, uh, from August 2018, three and a half years ago. It says, NTT 20, 20 under 20. And that's how it started. I've been wanting to do this for over three years. We want to celebrate EFL academies. We want to celebrate EFL clubs developing those cast aside, maybe at a young age, by Premier League academies or plucking players from non-league. We know, as do you guys, that those players at the very top of the game playing for England sometimes cut their teeth in the EFL. That means there will be a gang of current EFL players of a young age who will, I'm sure, reach the very top of the game. Our task is to put together a list of 21 under 21 that we think have the best chance of doing so. The reason it's taken three and a half years to do is you can't do this with half measures. We wanted to do it properly. Sky Sports getting involved helps us to do that for sure, helps us to make it proper, helps us to do really good analysis using clips, and we cannot wait. We hope you guys will be as excited about this as we are. We hope that you'll get really engaged by it. We hope that it will enhance your own enjoyment of following these magnificent leagues because, of course, once the list is submitted, we're going to spend the whole year tracking these guys' progress. Not all of them will make it because player development is not linear and that will be a big part of how we engage with this as we as we work out what helps players, what doesn't help players, how much luck plays a role, how much talent, hard work, application uh, and good decisions as well. No doubt there will be players that you like, players that you love, maybe some that play for your club that are eligible but don't make it on. Uh, And that won't be, I promise, because we don't know about them. It won't even necessarily be because we don't rate them. We've spent weeks on this, months on this, to be honest, since we put together the first long list. It's, It's our opinion at the end of the day. But we do believe 
and we've made sure we've worked hard enough on this to be able to say pretty definitively there aren't many people that could have put more time into an overview of this group of players. So we're so excited. NTT20's show with Sky Sports, EFL 21 Under 21. It's on Sky Sports Football at 6pm on Friday. Please do record it. Please watch it live if you can because we really want it to create a big, big buzz this Friday night and over the weekend and beyond. And as George said, every player will have their own little segment. All of those segments will be available to watch digitally after the show, and we'll have this hour-long show as well to talk about it. Really, really, really exciting stuff. Big news for us. <laughs> and we've got more to come over the next few months, but let's get this 21 under 21 out of the way first. It's also transfer deadline day today. <laughs> One of you and my favourite days of the year. Who will move? We don't know, but boy, are we excited to see. Now, to be honest, very little transfer stuff. <laughs> Jim, you got Jim on. Great to get a voice note from Jim White there. Thank you very much, Jim, for taking the time to do that. Uh, we're not going to focus on transfer stuff much today because there's just too much of it uh, and some of it will happen as we're recording. We are going to chip in with bits and bobs of, of transfer news as we see it, as we record here on, on Monday morning. Uh, but otherwise, you will have to get your EFL transfer opinions elsewhere because we have a very busy week putting together EFL 21 under 21. That's enough plugging of our own Sky Sports show. Let's talk weekend action. Uh, let's start in the championship where... To be honest, George, I don't think there's like an obvious place to start, which is quite exciting. So I've decided we should start with QPR 4, Reading 0, because uh, fairly arbitrarily, just the biggest win of the weekend, isn't it? And it just continues a few themes, one of them being QPR are in such a good spot at the moment. There's this sense that actually maybe they're not just a playoff challenger. Maybe they're absolutely a challenger for automatic promotion for probably second place. Unfortunately, the other side of that coin is a familiar theme for Reading, just finding ever more creative ways to, to lose games. This one actually starting quite well for like 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes maybe, and then absolutely collapsing as soon as Lyndon Dykeski had headed home to make it 1-0 after 13 minutes. What are your main takeaways from QPR for Reading nil? <coughs> um, yeah, I, I guess starting with QPR, you're right. And, and it does feel like given West Brom's recent form, um, at the moment, it feels like three to go into that final automatic spot between Bournemouth, QPR and uh, Blackburn. There are clearly a couple of teams who will feel like a, a run of wins could put them back into it. Um, certainly Middlesbrough will feel like if they can continue their form, they could force their way into the reckoning. But there's now an eight point gap between Borough and Blackburn, although Borough do have a game in hand. So so th this feels to me like a pretty significant one. And I think for QPR, it's you know, we've spoken about it a lot over the last month. But it's how certain players have stepped up in the absence of others. Um, it's significant, in my view, that Willock's best uh, form of the season has come when Ilias Chair has been at AFCON. Not necessarily because um, that's him stepping up. I think part of the reason why Willock has been in such good form since Chair is gone is because it suits Willock. He suddenly becomes the focal point for their attacking play. He becomes the creator-in-chief, whereas when Chair is on the pitch, you feel like the first ball is always going to be into Chair's feet rather than Willock's. Willock almost having to be the foil. Uh, it's amazing how you know his goal involvement over the last couple of weeks is extraordinary, the quality of his, of his assists as well. And it's more than that because he's also just a very, very attractive footballer. The way he carries the ball, his touch is superb, his play in tight spaces is very good. And he's growing this season and proving himself to be probably one of the best uh, attackers in the league you know you look at 
Uh, Bournemouth, who have such a star-studded cast, which is going to be added to it, feels like today, uh, with Dembele and Kiefer Moore, and possibly a couple of others coming in. And Willock may not have the track record of those players, but I think in terms of pure quality and what he's doing, that Willock and Chair dub duo um, is up there, and, and they would be, you know, they would slot into any team in this league. So significance there for Reading. Um, Vika Panovic is still their manager. Uh, he said after the game that except for the four goals, he felt like his Reading side played pretty well. I think he needs to go on a on a PR course because even if that is something that he believes and statistically, you know, he's not that far wrong in terms of shot count and XG and the rest of it. You know, they they did test Marshall in goal. It was a much better performance than we've seen in other thrashings that, that Reading had put in recently. Um, but when you are when you're when you're when you're losing four nil away from home, when you're in such a bad run of form, when you've got the fans chanting they want you out, I would probably take some blame rather than trying to dress it up as a decent performance. Um, but he seems to still have the support of the board, and, and he's in a job now. And I, and I do think that there was probably enough, you know, with Joao back in in the side as well. Um, that level of performance probably was a, a movement in the right direction, even though Reading fans don't really want to hear that. Big Ilias on his way back from Afghan, of course. Morocco being knocked out by Egypt uh, on Sunday. Ilias chair not called off the bench to try and change the game. They got everything they deserved, if you ask me. And I'm looking forward to seeing him going back and, and Chris Willock flexing his muscles, saying, look, Big Ilias, I'm the man now, for sure. Mm. Uh, here's one that's going to be a really tricky one for you to get your head around. You're going to hate it, I think. But I thought it was interesting okay. and worth bringing up. Tom... QPR fan, newly minted NTT20 squadder and contributing a lot already, says about Chris Willock, he's seriously as good as Eze was for us. And I've seen some people go a little further on social media, even though it's the type of conversation that doesn't have a, a, a true answer. Some saying he's better than Eze was for us. There's a few caveats here, aren't they? QPR are a much better football team than the QPR that Abere Eze played for. There might be something in Willock's extra consistency, perhaps, as at, at, at his absolute best, as a ceiling, if you will, to use a phrase that I've been using increasingly recently. Maybe his ceiling was a little uh, higher than, than Willock's in terms of ball carrying. In terms of creativity, I don't think it's really a contest. I think Will's, Willock's vision and the execution of his passes and his crosses uh, is much better than anything we saw for Eze. And in terms of goal threat and consistent goal threat, I'd say Willock probably edges it as well. It's just hard to know how to judge the sort of team impact, uh, the team being so much stronger than than the team that Eze really was at times a one-man attack for. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. <clears throat> and, and as you say, the creativity side of things, um, it helps that Willock's playing in a, in a better side, which means that the, the chances he's putting on a plate for, for you know, the amount of goals that this, this QPR team score compared to the one that Eze played in. You know, Eze... Eze's QPR really felt like a one-man team, whereas Willock is, as I said, just one cog in, in, in what is a very good side. So I, um, having just waxed a look about him, I, I'm going to say that I, I wouldn't necessarily agree yet that Willock can go on to have, um, well, just in terms of pure talent, that Willock is a better player than Eze, but he's certainly going, heading in that direction. And he's, you know, what he's done in the last month or so has certainly raised his... Uh, or raise the bar, I think, as to what he what he is now and what he can be. Well, I don't want to raise your blood pressure any further, so I won't bring up the fact that I also saw a discussion about Jimmy Dunn, QPR centre-back, being a better pure defender than Rob Dickey. But don't worry, That's fair. no I, one I is saying that. he's a better ball player. No one, George, yeah, or ball carrier. That is, 
that's yeah that's fine I'm, I'm okay with that right let's move on to a performance that i was very impressed with and a performance that i was very unimpressed with Sunday's game between Cardiff and Nottingham Forest. One by the home side, Cardiff City, 2-1, but probably more comfortable than a 2-1 scoreline suggests. Huge credit has to go here to Steve Morrison. He had the week to prepare for this home game against Forest, and he did it brilliantly. The game plan was spot on, and the way that his players carried out his instructions was spot on. And I think a reason why that's even more impressive than it ordinarily would be is that six of Cardiff's 10 outfield players are new players. Now, that's not necessarily new signings because in the cases of Ryan Wintle and Max Waters, these are guys who have been recalled from loan, Wintle from Blackpool, Waters from MK Dons. But the other four, Dramer and Doughty, the wingbacks, um, both of them on loan from Leeds and from Stoke Doyle in the heart of midfield on loan from Man City. And of course, Jordan Hugill on loan from Norwich, scoring within five minutes of his debut and they were all pretty impressive uh, in different ways but it was the collective performance particularly out of possession that I thought was excellent and the fact that they did cause Forest problems when they attacked with directness with Hugel and Waters uh, with the wingbacks as well I was really taken by Cody Dramer the Leeds United loanee um, we know that Doughty on the other side is one of the, the quickest players in the championship um, partly probably why he's had such problems with his hamstrings but yeah, if you think mobility is one of the most important traits for a wing-back, then both of these guys are ticking the box. But Drame, uber-mobile, excellent defensively. No one got past him all day. He was a little bit loose in possession, I'd say, going forward. Uh, but he showed good intent. And, you know, that's kind of half of the battle at times, is is offering, is running in behind, is, is showing speed and intent to get forward and just being a, a question mark, if not necessarily someone who's delivering excellent final balls. I'm sure that will come, but was really impressed with his debut, I must say. Uh, not his debut, sorry. I was just impressed. It was the first time I'd seen him uh, for a full 90. I thought he was brilliant. Now, Forrest didn't have a week to prepare for this one. They, of course, played in midweek. They beat Barnsley 3-0, but Steve Cooper was not happy with their performance in that win and maybe didn't have the time or the words to correct the issues because they were desperate here. It was, um, uh, yeah, it was a head-scratcher because we've seen them play and put together some really good performances uh, in recent weeks. Not always for full 90s, but certainly in-game tweaks that have helped them turn things around when they haven't started well. But this, basically for the full 90, was as if they'd never played together before. Uh, they didn't build up well from the back at all. A loose McKenna pass uh, led to the first goal. Steve Cook showing why playing him in a really high line and leaving him isolated in transition is probably not optimal um, and Jordan Hugel finished well and even when they did build up from the back into midfield getting into the final third they didn't combine well at all in the final third Zink, Graben, Brennan Johnson not clicking as they have done in, in previous weeks so not something I'm going to scream and shout about but it, it was just a little bit odd because we've expected better but for Cardiff a very important win for the performance and frankly just for the points because as we've kept mentioning that they're in a precarious spot um, and even with much more positivity around Steve Morrison's reign compared to the Mick McCarthy reign, they can't really afford any more bad runs. Um, and actually, since McCarthy was sacked, only Reading, Posh and Barnsley have picked up fewer points than Cardiff. So again, they're, they're not. it's not like they're, they're absolutely smashing it points-wise. They have got six points more than those uh, teams, Reading and Posh in that time, and 10 more than Barnsley. So that's enough of a cushion. They have to maintain this level of superiority over those bottom three clubs, uh, the three clubs below them uh, at the moment, but maybe they could ask for a little bit more as well. And this is certainly a good sign. So uh, that's Cardiff, Nottingham Forest.
don't think you could add anything more to that, to be honest with you, mate. So, um, well, I actually, I actually had loads to say on top of that, but I'll, I'll leave it for the uh, podcast bonus. So, <laughs> why don't you tell me about? Well, you choose. Which of the other championship games this weekend uh, do you think was the most significant? Because <clears throat> there's a lot of wins to nil, basically. Let's talk Millwall West Brom. Um, I think that is the most significant for a couple of reasons. I mean, Millwall putting in, putting in a much better performance. Uh, at home, uh, after a difficult run of form, um, Benica Fobe's goal for the second is beautiful, um, tying Matt Clark in knots um, before, you know, basically not making him before putting it into the bottom corner. Um, and Millwall were good value for their win, but this is all about baggies. Um, what a terrible week. Uh, they, because, you know, what we've come to expect from West Brom this season has been, even when the results aren't great, there has been caveats to it you know that they've often been the data darlings of the of the championship you know the side who's who are battering teams on in the xg battle but coming out short who are just not converting their chances everyone said they needed a striker who was going to convert them in order to improve them um we've seen ishmael's style although i mean i would say it hasn't been quite as high octane as, as we saw at barnsley and that's probably due to the the personnel you know barnsley's high press i think was much more effective than uh, than West Brom's and there have been individually very poor seasons from certain players you know I think we all expected Darnell Furlong to be one of the best right backs or right wing backs in the division he's been poor uh, I think we expected Matt Clark to be very effective at centre back he, it wasn't his finest game on last weekend he hasn't had a great season um, even you know Alex Mowat himself despite flashes of brilliance probably hasn't lived up to expectations um, but this week has signified a shift where West Brom were abject in both games. They were abject in the home game against Preston where they lost 2-0 and deservedly so. And they were abject here in losing 2-0 away from home at Millwall. And given that the fan feeling against Ishmael was so strong, even when there were some signs that he was getting it not right, but was on kind of the right path and this project was, was heading in a, in a direction that would see them pick up points... That is not the case anymore. Um, the performances have dipped massively. It, it almost looks to me when I'm watching them like the players have lost a bit of belief in what Ishmael is trying to do. Um, that the negativity from the fans is, is probably, and, and I'm not in any way blaming the fans here, but just saying the negativity in the fans has probably created an atmosphere that isn't really conducive to, to, to winning games of football. Uh, Andy Carroll came in and, and nearly scored early on in this game, which would have changed things. He was. He was okay. I think he's a fairly decent signing. I do wonder when you've, you know, obviously the way that Ishmael likes to play, he likes to have a physical striker up front and Carroll is that, but he, you know, the high press is incredibly important and in Carroll, you're not going to get someone who can lead that press from the front, unlike Daryl DK, who 10 years his junior, who's of course is injured for the next few weeks. And so you wonder what West Brom are going to do now because Ishmael signed a four-year contract in the summer, which is a, a massive show of faith for a, man for a for a manager in the championship. Um, they've recruited for him, you know, Mowat, DK, even Carroll now on a short-term deal. They've, they've recruited to try and buy into what he's doing. I, I think irrespective of how the fans felt, I think so long as they were still picking up some points and so long as, you know, they could point at some performance metrics and saying, look, it's going to turn around. I think Ishmael's job is probably fairly safe. But now with this massive downturn in, in terms of what they're doing out on the pitch, um, West Brom have a decision to make. Do they fork out the money it will cost to pay off someone's three and a half year deal? Or do they just have to cross everything that this is going to sort itself out and the man that they've invested so much faith in 
and rightly so, given the job he did at Barnsley and prior to that at Lask as well. Um, do they still believe that, even knowing that the relationship between the fan base and the manager has, is at such a low ebb that probably a turnaround in fortunes wouldn't really matter in the eyes of some fans? It's a total mess. They've got a full 10 days until their next game, away at Sheffield United next midweek. Then Blackburn Rovers at home. Monday, 14th of Feb. Ironically, Valentine's Day. <laughs> Might not even be there for it. Val, do you mean Val out of Times Day? Wow, amazing. Then Luton away. Next, next Saturday. The penultimate. You mean Lose Town away? <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, well, it sounds like you're on the side of the fans that were very much chanting, you're getting sacked in the morning. Toxic, uh, aw- I don't know. toxic away. I don't know and I am. To follow some toxic home ends. I mean, they've failed to score. In five of the last seven, not good enough. Really enjoyed uh, a Fobe's take, as you did. He's looked pretty sharp recently in, in a in a poor team, um, in general. But yeah, I think actually just to pick up on that, I think I think a Fobe is one of those where if he was playing for a strong side, if he's playing for some of the the teams top half championship teams that he's played for early in his career, I think he'd be scoring more regularly. I think there'd probably be a bit more talk about him. But uh, Millwall, again, not a team that's creating a ton of chances. Um, but probably a Fobe and Bradshaw before his injury, some of their better performers uh, recently. Mason Bennett was very lively here as well. And after losing three straight, they needed that. Uh, Barnsley nil, Bournemouth won. It's one of those games where I don't have a huge amount of analysis because, well, it was a comedy goal that put Bournemouth 1-0 up pretty early on. Uh, Brad Collins came well out of his goal, didn't get there. Um, then a, a looped cross from Solanke was headed in by Billing. It, you got to see it to believe it. It was it was pretty crazy stuff. And then, to be fair, Barnsley didn't roll over at all. You probably would have expected them to. You probably would have expected Bournemouth, who you know needed to loosen their belt a bit and and maybe rack up some goals, get some confidence after a poor run. They didn't really do that either. It's not to say that Bournemouth didn't have a couple more chances, but the game finished one nil. Barnsley didn't roll over and caused a few problems of their own to, to Bournemouth. Showed a bit of a fight anyway. So even though I'm about as down on Barnsley as I as I have ever been, um, they weren't horrendous at Forest performance-wise, even in losing 3-0. So I don't really want to sit here and, and absolutely slag them. Um, I sort of feel like home to Cardiff on Wednesday, similar performance level to their defeats against Forest and Bournemouth, and we might see something from uh, from Barnsley in that game, a little more than we have recently anyway. Let, let's wait and see on that. At Bournemouth, George, going... Transfer mad. We've got rumours this morning. I messaged you this morning just saying Freddie Woodman loan, Rothwell potentially, although that looks like it might be off. Sir Ricky Dembele, Todd Cantwell, Kiefer Moore. I said three of three or more of those expected in today for the Cherries. What do you make of them flexing the parachute payment muscles, making the most of players out of favour or out of contract? And even though they already have quite a strong squad, looking to strengthen further to make sure they get that second spot. It's an interesting way they're going about things. Um, I, They are going after some of the best talent in the championship, which is a, a, a wise thing to do because I am fully of the belief that um, in at a time where talent is often overpriced, I think you only have to look at you know, players who make moves into the Premier League from the Championship, the uh, the second move is always for a much higher fee if they're a success. I think there's massive va- there is value to be had in the Championship. Um, so for Bournemouth to be shopping around there, to be getting the likes of Dembele, um, who of course, given his contract wrangling, 
um, is um, probably going to be coming on the cheap. The same with Rothwell, Kiefer Moore, who just doesn't want to be at Cardiff, clearly. Uh, it's it's a it's a clever strategy uh, in terms of pure value for money. Whether or not it's a clever strategy to um, to stay in the in the Premier League next season, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it's it's them looking to get over the line, I guess, um, which is important. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I, I think it strengthens them. They're kind of going to become a bit of a, a bit of an EFL All Stars team. When you look at the the list of players you mentioned there, um, I think Cantwell would be a really exciting signing. Someone who I anticipated was probably going to get a Premier League move. And it wasn't long ago he was being linked to Liverpool. You know, that's someone who, if, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty surprised that Norwich would be happy to to let him go um, with any permanent agreement, even if it's a loan with a view to a permanent, given Norwich's likelihood uh, is going to be that they will be a, a championship side next season. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. I mean, Bournemouth are not playing well at the moment. They, they have been playing well for a couple of weeks. They were poor on Saturday. Uh, a lucky winner for me on the, um, on the betting show, tipping up the clean sheet because Barnsley were, were probably the better side. And, it was only a, a moment of madness, as you say, from, from the Barnes of the Keeper that enabled Bournemouth to get ahead in the game. Um, so they, they do need a bit of an injection, I guess, of quality because they will feel like that second spot is kind of theirs to lose. Um, no disrespect to Blackburn or to, to QPR at all. But given uh, if you were to offer Mark Warburton or Tony Mowbray Bournemouth squad in compa- uh, rather than theirs with these games left in the season I'm, I'm pretty sure they would say yes and, and especially with the new signings coming in so um, yeah short term definitely good it'll be interesting to see how their summer recruitment goes um, if they do get up not that I'd care because then that would be Premier League content so you know George Jed Steer looks like he's heading on loan to Luton Town to be their goalkeeper cover for the rest of the season and their opponents from the weekend Blackburn well it looks like a busy day for them Strong reports that one of my favourite players in the league in the first half of the season, Ryan Giles, will be heading to Ewood Park. The Rothwell saga ongoing. Have Bournemouth pulled out after turning his head? That's the reports. Let's wait and see. And what else? Uh, We've got Hull 2, Swansea 0. Hull going back to back to back under their new owner. Uh, But this was the first time that Shota Arvaladze had been in the dugout, wearing that lovely roll neck that he had on, lovely grain roll neck, and showing uh, just how much English he'd learnt and just how good that growth mindset was by not changing anything at all, really. Same team and same shape as as the previous two wins under Grant McCann, other than the left wing-back Fleming, who came in for the injured Randell Williams. Uh, and Fleming picked up a, a, an eye-catching assist early in that game. Perhaps he should have had some more minutes earlier in the season. Um, but yes, shout out Grant McCann, because uh, I, I, as you know, feel a bit sorry for him. Uh, and I think that he had set this foundation in place. We don't know what Arvaladze will do long-term, what strategy he will go with. But regardless, on the pitch, we're looking at a very, very strong Hull City side at the moment. They've picked up the sixth most points in the championship in the last 12 weeks. That's about a three-month period. So um, a really impressive after such a poor start to the season. And Honeyman's the one for me. Uh, I just want to flag up. I, I don't think it's necessarily something new, something that people won't have noticed, but he is having an incredible three months. He, he basically missed the first chunk of the season and perhaps not coincidentally, Hull City missed him and mm. lost games. He has properly arrived now as a very good championship player. Um, do you know what's weird? I was thinking about what makes him so good and the first thing that popped into my head was he'd be the sort of player that Diego Simeone would love because he is relentless, he is hardworking, he presses... 
and he's got quality as well. Like he combines well with teammates. He arrives late into the box. He's probably, you know, you wouldn't say in terms of pure technical ability, nothing necessarily stand out at this level, but he's absolutely effective and he just does the things that he does well very well and I've got a lot of respect for the way that he's playing I've got a lot less respect for you than I had before the weekend because George last Monday we did a whole bit on the pronunciation of the of the new Hull owner's name Ajun Illigili Ajun Illigili what what I'm confused about you went full Brexit on Five Live Illy Charlie you scored you called as as you did the week before when you'd already looked it up yourself. So you're absolute. This is the second time in a week where you're just fraudulent in terms of what you ordered gnocchi on Friday night, having made a big thing about hating gnocchi on, on Twitter. And then here you are having a go at me when you, you looked up the pronunciation of Ashun Ilishali. And then you decided you were going to say it exactly the way that I said it as well. So don't project your own shortcomings onto me, my friend. I'm very happy with what I said. And I want people out there listening to the radio who maybe don't know a great deal about Hull to be able to visualise his name. So I just said it phonetically. <laughs> yes, Chappers, the man that some people are calling the Turkish answer to Simon Cowell, Achun Ili Charlie, are turned off in disgust. Disgraceful. Mm. How about Peterborough nil, Sheffield United 2? Or, if you prefer, Middlesbrough 1, Coventry 0? Um, Middlesbrough 1, Coventry 0, I think. I feel like Coventry are a side who are not getting the rub of the green at the moment because, um, you know, no disrespect to Middlesbrough who are, you know, pick up another big win and are operating at a high level, but it feels like Coventry keep being on the receiving end of these tight games and and coming away without anything to show for it. Um, They had plenty of chances in the game. Um, Eccles had a very good chance in the first half. Callum O'Hare had a shot parried. Uh, tipped over the bar by Lumley. I'm, I'm convinced that someday soon O'Hare is going to start just scoring absolutely loads of goals because it's totally mad how many, how often he gets into good positions. And it's not like there are some players who, when you watch them shoot, you're like, mm, okay, you know, you, you have a, a clear lack of composure and ball striking ability. It's not the case with O'Hare. He seems to hit the woodwork or have good saves off his attempts fairly regularly. Um, and this was another occasion of that. McFadden hitting the woodwork as well. Um, but Middlesbrough found a way to, to get the all-important goal. They were unlucky themselves, I think, in midweek not to get anything from the um, from the Blackburn game, which they lost 1-0 on the road, so to bounce back and take points off a side who, crucially, they are vying with for for that um, for a place in the top six is is important. But you know, Coventry now needs to um, find a way to, to get back into some form. You know, they, they did beat Coventry in midweek, of course, um, but they need to pick up points if they're going to get in there because they're currently ninth, they're five points off uh, Borough in sixth and that was a, a bit of a hammer blow to their chances mm. and they'll feel like they probably deserve to get something out of the game. Nice moment of slickness. First time we've seen it really from Borough's loney Flo Balogun uh, kind of made the difference here. A brilliant piece of, of link play. Uh, first time ball uh, to, a, to a teammate and then ran in behind uh, into the channel, received the ball and a, a really good low cross for Sporar to finish. Uh, yeah, Borough Two games this week, lost at Blackburn, didn't they, on Monday night? Really poor in that game. Um, and possibly, as you've mentioned there, second best in this game as well. So in a, in, a, in a way, that's, you know, we need to see performances get back to a level that we saw a, a few weeks ago. Uh, at the same time, there's always going to be little dips and three points from those two games, a return that is not perfect, but is not horrendous and allows them to keep sixth spot uh, and go again after the FA Cup weekend. QPR away next for Middlesbrough. That is a very spicy affair. The late game on Saturday was posh nil, Sheffield United 2 and this was fairly straightforward, dare I say it. 
Um, Peterborough are not a football team that can perform very well in championship games at the moment. A strange way of saying it, but I think you know what I mean. They they started okay here. They looked relatively up for it. Uh, but as the game went on, Sheffield United's stronger players, stronger game plan, stronger execution, stronger mentality told. Uh, and, and Billy Sharp, of course, put them ahead, firing in a loose ball uh, after 54 minutes. The second goal, an, an OG from Callum Morton to, to make it 2-0. And, and Posh didn't show a huge amount, really, outside of one nice bit of play from the emerging Kwame Poku. It's quite exciting to see him getting starts. Uh, he played one through for Clark Harris, who just couldn't quite get there before Foddering closed down the angle and, and thwarted him. Uh, this Sheffield United side now just looks quite nice and settled under Heckingbottom. I do feel like I haven't quite got a handle on exactly what their average performance level is and how or where that will take them from now on to the end of the season. But Basham Egan Robinson at the back, uh, Norrington Davis, Bogle, wing-backs, Norwood, Harahan, midfield pivot, and Jai Sharp, plus one. Uh, it's been Brewster recently, but he picked up an injury here. So it could be McGoldrick, could be McBurney, or the wild card, Daniel Jebison, just seeing that he's being recalled from his loan at Burton. Uh, and might get a few minutes between now and the end of the season, which would be quite exciting. Now, Billy Sharp's goal, George, was uh, announced as Billy Sharp becoming the top goal scorer in championship history. Now, the other way of describing that is top goal scorer in the second tier of English football since the fairly arbitrary starting point of 2004, where nothing massive yeah. changed except the name and the sponsor of, of the league that he played in. Yes. So you don't want to get, give that big guns? Well, I feel like you're trying to set me up to discredit Billy Sharp, and I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to let you do that if you want to. I thought you might want to defence sometimes. I was just, I was just spiking it like volleyball, and you were going to smash it in and say, "No, actually, Ali, Billy Sharp's an incredible goal scorer at this level, and we should show him greater respect." Which, which I would then agree with in a real <laughs> twist of fate. You know, I'm just, I'm trying to ask hard questions like, like David Frost. <laughs> Um, he, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he is a great goal scorer. He is someone who's been incredibly important to, to Blades and um, arbitrary or not, it's a significant achievement uh, for the amount of goals that he scored, especially when you consider that he had a couple of seasons playing in the Premier League recently as well. Um, you know, he, I think when you look at the amount of attacking options that Sheffield United have got, um, and also in my head, Sharp and, and Wilder were incredibly um, close and I think Sharp can probably credit Wilder for the for this swan song um, in the twilight of his career, but you look at both Slavica Kanovic and Paul Heckingbottom um, relying on Sharp to be still their number one main uh, striker, who's added a fair bit more to his game this season as well. You know they've got Rian Brewster who came off injured early on in this one, um, which is a shame because it looked like he was just coming to some form. You've got McBurney, you've got McGoldrick, you know you've got plenty of players there that they have the options, um, but Sharp is still the main man and he's still scoring the goals as he's well. He's basically one consistently winning Sheffield United striker Royal Rumble over the last few yes. years. Just when you think that he's being phased out, he comes back yeah. in with a steel chair. And I know that he'll like that reference. Did that thing with the sock once. Yeah. We're going to just touch on a couple of drawn games just because there was a few uh, things to discuss. Uh, Derby 2, Birmingham 2, George, on Sunday, produced one of the moments of the season so far, you have to say. Unbelievable. I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. Um, Derby going 2-0 down at home to Birmingham. A Birmingham side of themselves who came back from 2-0 from down in midweek to draw 2-0. Uh, and then uh, an amazing late show. Luke Plange with the, with the first to make it 2-1 in the 87th minute. And then 
Christian Bielik, who we hadn't seen for over a year after his second serious knee injury uh, in the last few years, a player who I think you and I both agree um, if he had stayed fit, there's no way, well, unless Derby had, hadn't ended up in the mess and Mel Morris's gamble had, had paid off somehow, um, he, wouldn't, he, he wouldn't be a Derby County player. He is, in terms of the quality that he's got and his range of attributes, he is a Premier League player. Um, whether or not he will still be that after the injuries, we don't know, but he'd show no shortage of um you know ability to of movement ability let's say with the uh with the goal because it was an overhead kick in the 95th minute uh, after coming on um just after about 70 odd minutes so we only saw him for 25 minutes an incredible finish i mean there are shouts for offside yes shouts for high boots but then we're getting into that silly territory where if that's a high if that's a high foot then every single overhead kick and bicycle kick is a high is a high foot as well um and Sadly, he seemed to dislocate his shoulder in the process. Um, the, the celebrations in the stands were raucous. The celebrations around Bielik were too. I felt pretty sorry for him that he had all 15 stone of Colin Kazim Richards jumping on his shoulder um, after just dislocating it. Um, but it was, and Colin, if you're listening, that was maybe, I, I have no idea how much you weigh. Pure muscle, I'm saying nothing about anything else uh, there. Um, but he's, uh, yeah, I mean, an unbelievable story. And, and I think we can just hope that he is going to be fit fairly soon. That that isn't his only involvement this season, um, but for Derby. And I loved, I loved Wayne Rooney's reaction on the touchline as well. It was like seeing Wayne Rooney score a goal again. Just pure aggressive joy uh, on the touchline. Um, it's only a point. Um, it, 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 again, it probably isn't enough, but it, it keeps them believing and it keeps them. Um, and it just shows again the unbelievable character uh, that they have. Um, you know, for a side who have had so many issues and players who have had so many issues. This season, uh, facing up to so much uncertainty, to keep battling on the way that they do. Um, we saw the commitment of the fans with their marches through Derby, um, Derby Centre, um, and you know they are the commitment of the fans and the commitment of the players deserve each other. Uh, and we'll see. You know that it does keep their hope of being able to stay up alive for another week at least. I, as long-term listeners of the pod know, love Christian Bielik. Maybe as much as you love Jack Grealish, although I probably don't tweet about it as much. Not helped by the the two serious knee injuries. He's he's just my pretty much my favourite type of player. Uh, he can play centre back. He can play defensive midfield, and thrive in in both, which allows managers so much flexibility with what they can do uh, in game tactically, dropping into a back three or sitting in front, whatever is needed really. Um, and he, well, he can carry it. His his range of passing is okay. He's by no means some like PLO esque deep lying sprayer, um, but he has got a ball carrying ability that sets him apart, which means he can he can kind of burst into spaces in midfield and and he is pretty press resistant. Um, obviously, his size is is something that that stands out. Uh, excellent in the tackle, very good in the air. Uh, I just love him. And um, just to remind people of his timeline, really, it was the thirtieth of De- uh, sorry the thirtieth of January, twenty nineteen when Christian Bielik got sent off for a straight red card against Charlton in the Championship, which meant he missed three games. Two weeks later, in mid-Jan, he was started in an under-23s game just to get up to speed some match sharpness before coming back from suspension. In that game, he tore his ACL. He came back just under 10 months later. He came back into a Derby team on match day 15. Uh, Derby were bottom of the championship at this point last season with seven points from 14 games. Koku had been sacked. Rooney had just been confirmed as the sole interim with Rosinha assisting him rather than the joint interims that we had for a few weeks. And in the next two months, Bielik started 12 straight games. 
Derby's record was six wins, three draws, three defeats, 21 points from 12 games. It was the fourth best record in the league over that period of time. And then on the 30th of January, 2021, his 12th start in 61 days, he tore his ACL again versus Bristol City. And it was exactly one year to the day when he trotted on yesterday at a packed house and scored a bicycle kick in the 95th minute to equalise. Absolutely incredible scenes. I will never, ever forget that. And the noises that I made uh, when that goal went in, actually pretty similar to the noises I made when Emil Reese's over-the-shoulder volley went in to snatch a point for pressing against Bristol City. Absolutely sensational. Mm. Uh, It was an entertaining game, to be honest. Masengo was incredible. I can't remember more tweets, glowing reports from opposition fans than I saw about Masengo from Preston fans over the weekend saying it's the best individual performance from an opposition player they've seen at Deeptail this season. His assist for Semenyo's goal uh, was very impressive. Semenyo doing Semenyo things as well. But that Reese volley, yeah, it, it made me make a noise in the office at Quest that neither I nor any of the production team will ever forget uh, and which I mostly regretted, to be honest. And lastly, uh, at Craven Cottage on Saturday, Fulham drew 1-1 with Blackpool. The match itself was so unimportant. Fulham fan Paul Parrish passed away after falling ill during this game. The, the Twitter thread written by Paul Parrish's daughter is one of the, the saddest but also most uplifting things I think I've ever read. She wrote it, the words she was able to write at that time, words of, of love for her father, but also so many words of thanks for so many people that helped in different ways on Saturday absolutely incredible and one of the worst weekends imaginable uh, incredible strength and just one part of it that finished off her thread really said dad lived and breathed his whites and it was the most fitting end to his life that his last journey was to a standing ovation at our beautiful craven cottage uh, our love to her uh, to paul Parrish's family of course and and the fulham family as well incredibly sad news from the weekend at craven cottage We'll move on to League One, where there were some absolutely bizarre scorelines. And from those scorelines, a few fairly bizarre storylines. We'll start with Bolton 6, Sunderland 0. This was quite the affair, George, at the University of Bolton Stadium on Saturday. A result that, well, I won't forget for a while, that's for sure. And I don't (laughs) think the fans, both sets of fans, will do so either. No. You you called it on our Thursday pod, so congratulations to you. Um, should probably leave it leave it left unsaid that I it was on my list as well, and I decided to change my pick because uh, I didn't think we should pick the same <laughs> the same team. But well, you know, no, well, no, honestly, mate, respect to you. Well done for leaving that unsaid. I really respect that. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I know you'll edit it out anyway because you won't put people knowing, so it's fine. But it's um, I mean, it, where do we start with this? Because well, after the game, if we start from the end, last night um, on Sunday evening, Lee Johnson was relieved of his duties as, as manager of Sunderland. I think if there had been a betting market before this game as to next League One manager sacked, I think Lee Johnson would have been not even in the top half of, of, of the odds. It, this did not feel like it was coming because even though Sunderland's form has been fairly patchy at times, even though when they get beaten away from home, it is... A thrashing, as is shown by the fact they've lost uh, 4-0, 5-1, 3-0, and now 6-0 in their last four away games. Sorry, last four away defeats. 
Um, despite that, I think the fans have been appreciative of the style of football that Johnson has been able to impose. I think the fans, for the most part, understood that injuries to key players at key moments had not helped them at all. You know, McGeady has been out um, for a long time. O'Nine has been out for a while. Broadhead, just as he was starting to get into some form, uh, out for uh, for a long time too, which hadn't helped. But it just goes to show that sometimes one performance can just bring everything crashing down. Um, I listened to Lee Johnson's uh, interview after the game. It was very, very different to the Vyko Paunovic interview after the 4-0 defeat at QPR. He held his hands up and and took... He said it was the lowest he'd ever felt in football. Um, it probably got a bit lower last night. Um, he said that he, he didn't see it coming, that the, you know, the, the week's training had been decent, but he said that you know in no way, in no sense, was it good enough. Often, you know, there's been a lot of talk on social media about the decision to sack him. Uh, I, you know, I said myself I was surprised. Surprise doesn't necessarily mean I think it was the wrong decision. I think it's always important to to mention that we as onlookers, um, even you and I who, who cover the league as, as forensically as we can, we have no idea about what goes on in a club. When you've got a new ownership structure put in and you've got Christian Speakman as sporting director, we don't know how well that working relationship is necessarily going and all these other things. So it may be the case that actually Johnson's job was fairly precarious before this 6-0 defeat. We, we don't know, but they weren't good enough. Um, for Bolton, it was an amazing display. And I think that the signing of Dion Charles is a rare example of getting January transfer window right. You know, they went after a guy who'd been, who hadn't played much football because of the situation with Accrington and his contract. Um, they didn't concern themselves about the fact that they could have got him on a free fairly soon. They paid the amount of money they were, that was needed to secure his services. They replaced Owen Doyle, who they knew was leaving. Um, they didn't worry about the stuff that would put other clubs off, such as the fact he hadn't played much football and they're being rewarded for it because he started, you know, what a, an incredible goal it was last weekend. Uh, very late on to win the game and then a, a brilliant first goal here um, the run and, and then the lob to, to get the ball rolling and he was superb throughout and Bolton was superb you know maybe the, the scoreline feasibly you could say could flatter them given it was seven shots on target and six goals but you know they were by far the better side here um, and as Johnson himself said ever came with a game plan and executed it extraordinarily well um, and more performances like this we'll see them um, yeah I mean they, they are a side who as they did last season, if there's going to be a side in League One who are going to go on a merry dance towards the playoffs, it could easily be Bolton. I was already excited about them before this weekend, and now, obviously, even more so. Uh, as I said, I think on the betting show, there is probably, unfortunately, too much to do if you know if your first thought when you say, I think a team is going to have a really strong finish to the season is, could they achieve an unlikely promotion? Could they punch their way into the playoffs? I feel like they might hit a bit of a wall around sort of 8th, ninth, 10th. But after this performance and win, it's hard to be, you know, it's hard to, to put a limit on it because they were rampant. They were brilliant. Uh, yes, Sunderland folded here, but Bolton made them pay and uh, everything just worked well. They progressed the ball really well through the middle. Um, and then in the final third, when necessary, they used the width. Declan John, the left wing back, but Fossey is the one for me at right wing back. People have got to watch some of this guy on loan from Fulham. Uh, a USA-born uh, player, born in Hollywood, I believe, and he was absolute box office. He's he's got massive hair, which is always you know good to to lend itself to to box office box office performances. But he he was up and down. He's a strong defender. He likes getting involved physically. 
Um, and he was involved. He, he basically just, every time I saw him do something, it was winning a duel. It was getting involved in build-up. It was, um, you know, keeping the width and stretching Sunderland across the pitch. It was brilliant. Um, and then Charles and Afalion up front, you know, Dapo didn't start the two games before that. Uh, obviously played off the left in a, in a 4-2-3-1 at the start of the season. And in this 3-5-2, uh, up front is kind of the only place for him, I guess, or, or I suppose as a 10. Um, it works so well here. Him and Charles just pulling Sunderland defenders all over the pitch, using their own mobility and their skill on the ball. Uh, and Kieran Lee was probably... Ricardo Santos might have a shout for this. A lot of Sunderland fans noting that he had another very good game against them at the back. I think Kieran Lee was probably man in the match. Um, a, a classic Kieran Lee performance that he's been putting in in the EFL for a decade or so. Just constantly popping up in the box in like prime position. Um, he got an assist. He got a goal. Uh, he was absolutely brilliant. Sunderland didn't have anyone tracking him or couldn't track him, whatever it was. He was brilliant as well. So, so exciting to watch from a, a wondrous point of view. As you alluded to, I think a lot of people know from from this date last season, the end of January, they won 16 of their last 22 games. So while we won't expect that exact uh, level of, of points being accrued, we know that Ian Everett can build these runs. Uh, and yeah, they are still a long way off the off the playoffs, but just keep an eye on them. Um, as for Sunderland, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of opinions that you know seem to be from Sunderland fans, I should say. Johnson couldn't come back from that. You know, some people saying the worst defeat in our history. If you look at the fact that when we've not spent much of our history in the third tier this is one of our heaviest defeats ever it's against a team who on paper uh, at least were a league 2 club last year that does miss bits and bobs of context but you know it's clearly uh, a, a thing that a lot of Sunderland fans are feeling strongly uh, a lot of people pointing out it's only seven wins in the last 22 uh, and that's not good enough and then the sort of prevailing bit of context that Sunderland fans always always want non-Sunderland fans to know is that feeling of we have to go up this year we're already here three four years too long and I don't think other fans necessarily sympathize with that particular sentiment a huge amount but of course there is that overriding feeling Sunderland shouldn't be here Sunderland shouldn't be in League One every single year that they're here promotion has to be the sole objective and I think that's important thing to point out whenever we talk about managers being sacked whenever we talk about whether it's fair or unfair Every manager, or, or rather everyone hiring a manager, should be communicating a fairly clear remit. For some managers, most dare I say it, that is an objective in terms of league position, an objective of where to finish in the table, what to achieve at the end of the season, whether that be automatic promotion, whether that be we'd love to be top six, whether that be just avoid relegation, whatever, improve on last season, it could be anything. There probably should be an understood short-term performance level to be hitting on the pitch now at other clubs it's not as weighted as strongly towards that it could be more intangible stuff developing young players uh, improving our output in the transfer market raise you know bringing money in and using that to improve the squad and keep building more slowly engage with the fans play a better style of football whatever it could be there's so many different things as long as Sunderland in their hiring process and in their communication with Lee Johnson and I'm only guessing here as long as they were very clear you have to be promoted this season automatically, then it's hard to say, well, they're being really harsh here. There's a lot of people adopting the classic, and these tend to be non-EFL followers, a classic look at the league table when you see a sacking and decide it's harsh, having applied zero other thought to it approach. 
Now, clearly, that's not an approach that we like because, as you just said, we try and be fairly forensic on this stuff. But I remember their end to last season under Lee Johnson, where they were in an unbelievable position with probably 10 games to go. And they completely folded. They missed out. They were in pole position and they missed out. I remember the playoffs where they were poor, really poor, in those two legs against Lincoln, barring you know a half an hour spell in the first half of the second leg that was just pure pure emotion, pure vibes, and then they ran out of steam. I saw them 90 minutes the other the other midweek against Lincoln again, a bottom half Lincoln side who completely played them off the park, whose game plan was so much better than theirs. And I watched the game on Saturday where they were desperate, where they were poor. And I'm aware it sounds you know fairly hypocritical. It's only three weeks since we did our mid-season predictions and I was really excited. I saw Sunderland scoring a lot of goals and I thought they can dominate with the players that they have, the manager that they have. They can get on a run and dominate from here. The opposite has happened. And I just think it's worth pointing all of those things out. I'm not someone that, that really puts my balls on the line and says that is wrong or that is right. But I think it's important to talk these things through and try and, and yeah explain why this might have happened because there's a lot of people going, what on earth? Now, there are Sunderland fans who say changing manager every 12 to 18 months is not helping this club move forward, is not helping move this club forward up the division. Starting another cycle again is not necessarily going to lead to success. And that's also true. So it will be interesting to hear who they go with, uh, George. I, I sort of... I don't know why I seem to love Alex Neal more than most people. But for me, if he's up <laughs> yeah. for it, if he's available, he has to be the one. I think he's an excellent manager. I think he could be perfect in basically every possible way for Sunderland at this point in time. Um, but he's not the favourite, is he? So uh, who knows? Who knows where they will turn? Yeah, the early, and I was one of them. I know you disagreed, but I mean, Grant McCann does feel like the, the most obvious purely because he is a manager who won the league that they're trying to get out of last season, and um, probably with a with a worse squad. And I think he has proven himself to be <clears throat> good. I mean, I, I've got a feeling that they may step off the the managerial merry-go-round. Um, I think Just they may not appoint a manager. No, I think they may look at what um, Newport have done with James Robery at what. Forest Green have done with Rob Edwards and maybe rather than specifically looking for a CV of a manager who's been there and done it it might be a more rigorous process just to try and unearth a gem because we are clearly seeing now that there are a lot of bright young things around who can do the job basically better than than a guy who's got two or three sackings um, on his resume already alongside a smattering of, of, of good things so I think we might see someone outside the box, possibly a name we haven't seen um, manage at League One level before, possibly someone a bit like Kieran McKenna at, at Ipswich who has a reputation as a, as a coach higher up the pyramid. Um, we'll see. I, I think there will be, in my opinion, a clear um, attempt to bring in a, a coach. I think you know Lee Johnson is someone who's probably had more autonomy at other clubs than he had at Sunderland, and I wonder if that may have been an issue. Uh, given the the way the club is set up, so I wonder if it would be someone of that of that ilk, someone who's a proper on the grass coach, to come in and run that side of things. There was a moment where I thought you were putting yourself forward for it during that, and then you said on the I'm grass not, coach, but you're an off. I'm not an on the grass coach. Yeah, I'm off the grass. I'm a spreadsheet coach. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is almost similar to a phrase that a lot of Sunderland fans were calling you about two and a half years ago. Spreadsheet something, but uh, not coach. <laughs> Tell me about, and I'm still scratching my eyes. Because this can't be right. Gillingham 2, Oxford United 7. 
what I mean, what was this, mate? There's so I don't even know where to start. First time Oxford had scored seven goals in the league away from home. Some Cameron Brannigan penalty stats that we have to get into. Um, Gillingham looking more shambolic than any team I've seen this season, uh, arguably defensively from minute one. And yeah, take it away. You're mad. Um, I've had two. I mean, we are very lucky to do what we do on a Saturday. If I'm not at a game, I am either sitting at home um, working for Five Live uh, or I am um, in, in a quest working on the highlight show. It doesn't get much better than that. But sometimes, given I'm a season ticket holder and when I can, an away fan of an EFL club, sometimes it happens where, where a game happens and the sheer joy is just tempered a little bit by the fact that I'm not there and I've had it twice in a week now where last Saturday it was the dramatic late winner against uh, Sheffield Wednesday at, at home and then this time my brother and four of his mates were, were behind the goal you can see my brother celebrating a bit too aggressively uh, I think with uh, behind the goal with Cameron Brannigan for most of them so I was glad that one Alec brother was on was on quest on uh, on, <laughs> on, on Saturday night um, yeah it was incredible it was Going into the game, I think there was a lot of nervousness amongst Oxford fans. The performances hadn't been great. Even against in the win against Sheffield Wednesday, the performance wasn't great. There was a feeling that after Gillingham's midweek draw with um, with Shrewsbury, that they were that Steve Lovell was steadying the ship a little bit, and with their transfer dealings as well, looking quite sensible. Um, it felt like a bit of a banana skin. It kind of felt like, is this probably the worst time to play Gillingham so far this season? Uh, it transpires it wasn't. Um, it was. You know, even though um, the, the two goals Oxford conceded will frustrate them, the first one came at 4-0. Massive credit to the Gillingham fans who, I mean, there were, there were some decent limbs behind the goal when they scored that one to make it 4-1 as if they uh, anticipated it could be a, an incredible comeback. Uh, but Brannigan himself um, is a significant here. You know, we saw Carl Robinson's interview after the game. It was, it was at Gillingham where things started to go very wrong for him at the beginning of last season where he, um, he, he basically nearly went blind um, and there was only some medical help from um i think from the oxford staff and from the hospital staff as well that, that say to sight and, and now here he is scoring four penalties uh after oxford have rejected plenty of bids from blackpool for him i've seen i think um some blackpool reporting to the to the press this morning that they put in another bid as far as i as far as i know that has been rejected as well it does feel like the the release clause in cameron brannigan's contract expired a week or so ago um, so I think they may have missed the boat with that one, but maybe those words will come back and haunt me at midnight tonight, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, an amazing one for him. He'd, he'd only taken one penalty in normal time before before the day, which he missed against Crew last season in a 6-0 win. He'd taken five in shootouts. He'd scored all five, uh, the fifth of which I think was, no, or the fourth, I think was to send Oxford to Wembley in a penalty shootout against Portsmouth. Uh, and then all four penalties here. Felt sorry for Sam Winnell, who came off the bench and, and tried to grab the ball for the fourth. Cameron was having absolutely none of it. <laughs> told him told him where to go. Um, but yeah, an, an amazing win for Oxford. Uh, some defensive frailties for sure, but, um, but yeah, a, a brilliant win. And belief again, I think, with Oxford fans that the, the standard little dip is over um, with a massive game on Tuesday night that I can't really believe I'm not going to again um, up at Wigan. Got work to do, my friend. Uh, Cameron oh. Forbick. Brannigan, as I insist on calling him from now on, four pens in one. He has scored more penalties, or he did score more penalties on Saturday than 78 of the 92 league clubs have this season, which is pretty lively. And the Opta database has no record of four pens being scored by the same player in the same game. Crazy. 
um, shambolic for Gillingham. We, we I can't really do justice to how bad they are and how much, although it sounds like an odd thing to say, Steve Evans was probably holding the club together over the last two years until he couldn't do that anymore. Um, I, I was going to say the next appointment's really important, but it's it's such a bad time to walk into this football club. They're, they're 10 points from safety. The, the idea of a great escape is very hard for me to get on board with. And I don't believe their situation financially is particularly attractive. Uh, so, you know, the idea of taking a League One job, maybe if you're a League Two or a, or a National League manager, it's only that in name. I don't think there's anything else about Gillingham at the moment that that screams League One football club. Uh, and given that they are incredibly likely to go down, you're asking someone to really turn that around. And I think that's a difficult moment. A uh, big, big game was Wickham against MK Dons. Because with MK winning it and going above Wickham on goal difference, what I thought was potentially a couple of weeks ago and a little top four we had, Rotherham, Wigan, Sunderland and Wickham, is now not that because MK are into fourth. Uh, four wins out of five for them, including three away wins. Um, that they've they, We've kind of alluded to it a couple of times over the last few weeks. They, they seem to be able to win big fixtures in quite an impressive and quite a solid manner, which is definitely... Uh, a big jump from from what we saw last season under Russell Martin, as much as we enjoyed a lot of aspects of that. They have also had games where, because the expectations are raised and because they do have a very strong starting eleven that fits the style of play that they play, there have also been quite a few occasions this season where I felt a bit let down by some of their performances and results, um, most notably home games since the turn of the year against Jills on, on January the 1st and against Donny uh, on the 22nd, the, the game, the second one, they lost there. So um, work to do, but George, most open play goals in the league scored by Milton Keynes Dons uh, and that bit of extra grit as well. Let's not rule them out, shall we? Definitely not. Um, I mean, it, it still feels, especially with Sunderland's uh, slip up, it does feel like... In terms of the top two, um, it would take an, an almighty dip in form for both Wigan and, and Rotherham, who don't lose many games, um, for that to be the case. Uh, but they do feel to me like the side who have the highest ceiling in terms of, you know, you mentioned there, there was a lot of pre-season um, difficulty. They moved very quickly to secure the, the new manager who it feels like they didn't necessarily even make a... Make a um, a downgrade in terms of um, who they had to appoint. I think Manning has proven himself to be very capable, even if not quite as extreme as as, as Russell Martin was. Um, but they've certainly got got the got the talent to do so. You know, the the loss of O'Reilly is clearly difficult. I see Celtic fans already absolutely cooing over his first couple of performances in a Celtic shirt, and um, losing a player of that of that ability is massive. But they are um, very wise in terms of the way that they do their business. Um, we still have. Uh, you know, in Josh McEachern, they've got someone who's, who's kind of stepped in, um, who should have the technical quality, even if not the high ceiling, to to be very decent for them. And um, yeah, as I say, I think I think uh, Corbino is is one of the smartest signings, one of the best signings in League One so far this window. So yeah, I, I agree. Um, not many teams go to Wickham and beat them. Wickham's own little blip here could see them fall away. They need to arrest their slide pretty quickly. Um, but for MK, they will be hoping to be that side who can capitalise on any slip-ups from the, from the top two. Hey, George, if I was bullish about a Bolton win from the betting show on Thursday, you were bullish about a Sheffield Wednesday win at home to Ipswich. This was another uh, quite tasty-looking fixture, and Wednesday came out 1-0 winners, but a fully deserved win 
very strong performance out of possession in particular. Ipswich had, had most of the ball in this game, but zero shots on target. And, you know, obviously you turn and look at the new centre-backs, Harley Dean and Jordan Storey. They both made their first starts for Wednesday here with, with Sam Hutchinson as well, joining them in the back three. Now that allowed Marvin Johnson, who's been playing left centre-back recently, which definitely raised eyebrows of, of any fans of Marvin Johnson's former clubs, that allowed him to move to left wing-back. And, and there he was scoring the goal at the back post from across from Mendes Lang, who playing right wing-back and has had some, some good games, some poor games, um, but seems to be sort of picking up match fitness and, and posed a big threat here. Wednesday, we're threatening with the ball as well. You know, I keep banging on about Luongo and Windas, but that's only because the Sheffield Wednesday fans, particularly those we have on the squad, um, they keep banging on about Luongo and Windas and pointing out fairly that these are two championship players, most likely, who weren't available for the majority of the first half of the season are now fit and starting. That makes a huge difference to the quality of Sheffield Wednesday's uh, attacking play in particular. So more performances like this, please, Wednesday, and then we can start getting really excited about where you could go from here. I just feel like I've said that a few times already this season, so I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to go over the top. But yeah, you, you know, I spoke a few weeks ago about how their team on paper Wednesday just wasn't making much sense, just a bit square peggy and round holy, as I call it. Um, but with Luongo and, and Windass back fit and starting, with the club flexing a bit of that, you know, big club for the level financial financial muscle to bring in Harley Dean and Jordan Story, uh, championship players on loan on on championship wages. Um, the starting eleven makes a lot more sense now, and, and guess what? Now you're seeing a team that looks coherent. Um, the game plan was excellent, and they they won this game, a comfortable one nil, I would say. Um, how about uh, Crew nil, Rotherham two, Rotherham hitting the top here, Wigan only able to draw against Cheltenham, so Rotherham uh, back on top for the moment. Of course, having played two games more than Wigan, they've got one point more than them, but they did the business against Crew. Yeah, it was a good time I think for them to come up against crew because their performances haven't been too great as of late um, we're still waiting to see what happens in the Freddie Ladapo saga with uh, I think Paul Warren said this morning that Ladapo is still very keen to leave but they basically haven't had any offers for him so if that's the case then there's not really much he can do it does seem crazy for Ladapo to rock the boat like this unless he had a move sorted um, but yeah Rotherham look back to their effective selves um, a set piece goal um, from well, no, the first goal was from Smith, which was a kind of typical Smith um, header, um, showing his goal scoring ability there. And then um, they were were fairly comfortable throughout, and especially when Crew went down to ten men, there was only going to be one winner with the own goal making the point safe. You know, a lot of drama here off the pitch with Rotherham fans seemingly throwing something at Lino, who then had to go off um, with Richard Wood, the, the Rotherham captain, having to go over and tell the the fans to stop doing it. It does feel like there's a maybe maybe it's a generational thing, um, but it does feel like there is a sudden spate of of uh, fans across the country who feel like they can do whatever they want at games and get away with it. And the sooner that's taken out, the better. Um, I'm seeing way more reports in recent weeks of of, of dads, of, of mums, of families taking their kids to football for the first time and realizing pretty quickly that it's not a, a safe place for football fans to be of a young age, and that is incredibly depressing. Um, you know, there's all this talk about we don't want to go back to the old days and, and I, I just I think there, there seems to have been a a shift, maybe due to social media giving people the belief that they can say whatever they want to people and, and get away with it without having to to kind of front up. Um, but I have a feeling the next big movement in football is going to have to be around fan behaviour because and, and if you're listening to this and you think that oh grow up or whatever uh, you're part of the problem because you know we need football to be as inclusive and 
and, and an area where people can go and enjoy themselves and we need linesmen not to be thinking um, worried about making decisions because they're scared about what's going to be flying up behind them uh, pathetic behaviour from cowards try harder not to be idiots at football matches would be a fairly simple message it's not just the incident at Rotherham this weekend an incident um, in the Milton Keynes away end uh, against Wickham something just desperately exhaustingly stupid and as you say is putting people off going to football matches which is clearly not the direction of travel that we want to be going in stop abusing players stop abusing managers stop abusing officials referees linesmen and particularly if you say stuff and your defense would be it's harmless it's harmless and everyone does it it's harmless and other sets of fans do it that's that's the most frustrating thing because that is just classically removing any responsibility from yourself. But what you say and what you do is your responsibility. And you have to own it. Making people feel unsafe with your actions or your words, whatever it might be, with your songs, with with what you're saying or throwing or gesturing, whatever it might be. And if you do something, it's also not up for you to decide if it's harmless or not because you're not the one that suffers from those actions. It's for the person on the receiving end of that. And sometimes they will also think it's harmless, but often when you might not expect it, they won't feel like that way. And again, don't make people feel uncomfortable or as far as unsafe because of what you're doing at, at football matches. Doncaster 1, Plymouth 3 and Lincoln 1, Burton 2. George, two good away wins from behind for Argyle and Burton Albion. Which one of those would you like to focus on? Hmm. Um, Donny Plymouth, let's go for. Uh, Doncaster taking the lead after uh, 10 minutes um, in a game where I think I think we can say that Doncaster looked to be on the improve um, in this one. They, they, created, they created plenty here, which we haven't been able to say about them for, for much of the season. Uh, 17 shots they had um, in the game. Yes, they lost 3-1, but I'm, I'm still maintaining that I think Plymouth are a very good side. One of my favourite stats um, from this game is that of the uh, 15 players that played, there were four subs made uh, in the game, um, only two outfield players. So only one outfield player didn't have a shot and everyone else had one or two, which I always like. Um, but it's, yeah, for... For Argyle, they've been through their own difficult run and to go 1-0 down and come back and, and, and get the three points is significant. I saw Doncaster made an interesting signing today. Um, they've signed striker Rio Griffith, who was a bit of a hotshot teen sensation at, at Tottenham, had a massive reputation, went to Lyon, where I think he's seemingly scored loads of goals in their, in their youth setup. So I'm surprised he signed on a permanent deal on a two-and-a-half-year contract. So definitely a player who it feels like has quite a high ceiling feasibly and a fair bit of their business so far this window has looked okay Doncaster's um whether or not they're kind of preparing for next season or in league two um we are going to see but league um, two got top goal scorer 22 23 Rio Griffiths maybe is that what you're saying maybe maybe yeah heard it here first yeah. uh yeah big away win for Burton second time in a row that they've come from behind to win character as good as ever under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and albeit I think most people, even Burton fans, are not getting too overexcited about them punching their way into the top six. They're currently in 10th place in League One, and that should never be 
underestimated as a, another ginormous achievement uh, that, that goes with Burton's incredible list of achievements over the last few years. Um, I, I find it quite hard to keep up with Burton's squad. I feel like Hasselbank is incredibly lively in the transfer market and seems to be flipping players all the time. So it's it can be quite hard to, to sort of keep your finger on who their key players are. I was I was going to bring up Jebison today, but he's just been recalled by Sheffield United, the perils of the loan market, of course. Um, they flipped Kane Hemmings uh, down to, to Tranmere, picked up Gasana Hadmi. Uh, he's not scored yet, but getting in good positions. Uh, and, and, you know, again, you kind of forget how many players Burton have in their squad until you go on their transfer marked page and you're like, you, you could genuinely play a, a decent League One game against each other um, with two two teams of 11. Great to see Louis Malt and Sam Hughes, both of them back from serious injuries. Hughes basically out for a whole year, came back and scored the winner. Uh, Malt was out for, well, he signed in the summer, was injured in pre-season and, and is just coming back as well. Both of them back and contributing to the win. So a little like we said about Luongo and Windass, you know, when you get guys who can contribute coming back from injuries. Those are hashtag as good as a new signing. Uh, and shout out Academy product Kieran Gilligan as well, central midfield player. Really impressive in this game. Uh, tenacious as hell. Um, just snapping at heels and uh, and keeping the ball well too. The new signing Coccolo, the left wing back who they picked up from Borough. He was impressive as well. Good come from behind win at a good Lincoln side as we know. Now League 2, first v second. Can't ignore that. It's sort of... Mm. Well, it's, it's sort of first versus, and then really big gap, second. <laughs> and first one, 4-0. Forest Green going to Tranmere and scoring what is now 21% of all goals Tranmere have scored in the league this season. Scored it's by Forest it. Green in this match. It would have been more had they scored the penalty in injury time, which was uh, well saved. Jack Gerrard, who's a, a Tranmere fan, messaged us at half-time of this game, saying FGR are levels above anyone in this league, so impressed. And then at 20-5, to 5, oh, and Aitchison's the best player I've seen all year. So that was quite fun, because we haven't spoken feels that like much. He, he's basically the one who, who doesn't get as much credit as everyone else. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, good to see, I mean, good to hear, and, and it's no surprise as well. Um, it feels like Variant's catching up with Tramir a little bit here, um, having faced so many shots over the past few well, basically the past season, suddenly two fly in from Moore Taylor and um, and Hendry. Um, That's what you call the, the, you call that the XG variant, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, well done. Um, and that it puts a, a gloss on the result um, that that shows. Well, I mean, it shows Forest Green's superiority in the game as well. And as you say, it was only a it was only a penalty. Um, it was, they were a penalty away from winning the game five nil. Um, for Tranmere, they struggled to really get going. They didn't really fashion any chances. And when one nil at home after six minutes to only have six shots, just shows that despite Forest Green being a free-scoring side, it is their attacking solidity and their ability to manage games from from being ahead that probably is what sets them apart. Um, Rob Edwards was on Five Live at the same time as I was, and he's just such a good speaker. You know the way he talks about the game is so impressive. Um, it's often forgotten. You know he had one season in charge of Telford three or four years ago um, where I think Telford weren't in a great place when he came in. He led them to kind of mid-table mediocrity and um, and then left the club at the end of the campaign with the, with the club very keen to keep him. And I think that kind of year's worth of experience before going back into the you know the youth and coaching setups at Wolves, Wolves in England might be invaluable here because going in at the deep end, testing yourself as a manager, then stepping back a bit, the amount you must learn uh, in being able to do that and the way he carries himself, you can just... He, 
the way he speaks just doesn't sound like a guy who's who's going through his first EFL season. And I think of all of the managers in the EFL, he is probably the one who's looking forward to midnight tonight the most because uh, at the moment it seems like he's going to keep all of the crown jewels with, with no rumours about any of them moving at the moment. So um, And that will be mightily significant. Although I do wonder, I'm sure he's sat down with Nicky Cadden, Kane Wilson, Jamil Matt, Matt Stevens, and said to them all, you know, we need to... We need to, to keep you, let's stay here. We're building something special. What happens if he gets a phone call from Sunderland in the next couple of days? Does he does he practice what he preaches? Wow. Or do I just do what I'm told? What's, that's the start of a View song. It's the second time I've I've referenced The View. Do I practice what I preach or do I just do what I'm told? Because just the clock told, keeps ticking. Uh, Laurie Martin, who covers Forest Green Rovers brilliantly, one of my favourite um, sort of team-specific reporters that we follow on Twitter and we follow many many good ones he reported and I wouldn't have seen this otherwise which is why I wanted to credit him that Tranmere in an attempt to wind up their vegan opponents played several (laughs) tracks from Meatloaf and a song called Fast Food Song by Fast Food Rockers over the PA system ahead of the game surely surely the the Meatloaf was just a tribute to Meatloaf well I, I think there's probably an argument for that until they play Fast Food Song by Fast Food Rockers. I think that's the kicker there. Okay, right, yeah. Um, Dan, who's a Tranmere fan, did tweet us to say, very village behaviour. I wasn't sure if that was clever wording because Forest Green are basically from a village. Uh, Very village behaviour from us to think that they'd be even remotely bothered. It also meant that rather than getting the 11k crowd going, at 2.56, Abba's Honey Honey was being blasted out around the ground. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely unbelievable um such a complete team forest green rovers and that's why i'm excited that they could be the first team since plymouth argyle 0102 to hit 100 points in league two it's that it's the type of division where it's very difficult to do that uh championship league one have both seen a couple of centurions in the last uh well two decades but only one in league two their current points per game puts them at about 102, 103. Now, the next best is obviously Tramir. Their points per game over 46 would be 82 points. So, uh, yeah, in terms of PPG, there's about a 20-point gap between first and second at the moment. Um, And I just love that Forest Green's worst run this season was a week where they lost one and then they drew one. Ooh, winless in two. Only one point from two. And that's it. Then they won again. And they they haven't gone more than one game without a win since then. Um, psychologically incredible. Just you know, that's another tick in the in the Rob Edwards box. They they just get up for every single game, even though they've got such a huge huge cushion. And I don't think that should be underestimated. And nor should George. The stag party that never ends. Mansfield Town have set a club record eight league wins in a row, and that's the amount of W's at the end of row that I think nice. equals okay. eight. Yeah, eight in a row. Mm-hmm. Eight stag parties in a row. Yes. They must be getting tired. Um, it's, yeah, you run out of out of superlatives for this incredibly effective winning machine. I mean, again, they had six shots in the game. Bowery looked like he handballed the first. Is this sustainable? Who cares? It's nearly February now, and they are putting themselves in an incredible position to, to win promotion. And, um, Nigel Clough is, is finding a way to get this Mansfield side over the line consistently. Teams don't create much against them. Uh, Dryden probably should have scored. I mean, the second chance he had where he nodded it onto the bar from about a yard um, was fairly 
unlucky, um, but it probably wouldn't have made a difference with Mansfield already uh, two goals in the clear coming into it. It's hard to really put my finger. I I, I can't put my finger on on what exactly Nigel Clough has, has has done and is doing because it's not like there has been a, a massive dramatic shift in terms of of playing style. There's quite clearly a belief. Um, we were back to the Hawkins O'Toole defensive duo, which I think is still one of the coolest things that happens in in League Two at the moment, where you've got a former attacking midfielder and a former striker basically being the best defensive duo in the in the division. Um, but I, I mean, I, even though I think in, in a similar way with, Tran, with Tranmere, it is going to catch up with them at some point. They are going to lose games fairly soon because they aren't, unlike Forest Green, they are not massively superior to every team they come up against by a margin that should mean they win every game. Um, but given how poor they were at the start of the season, maybe they're on the receiving end of the variance now anyway. Maybe that is just what we're seeing. So um, will it continue? I, I doubt it. But do I think they'll finish in the top seven? I, uh, I think they... Yeah, I think they probably will. Good. That'll be a huge boost uh, to them. Carlisle lost <laughs> <It will be. laughs> 2-0 to Sutton United, and that means Sutton United march on. They are seven games unbeaten in League Two, and very consistently, Sutton United win matches to nil. That was the case here. Um, two goals from their star-attacking talents. Uh, Isaac Olafe firing home. Um, powerful shot early on with his weaker left foot. He's obviously on loan from Millwall. He was their top goalscorer last season and impacted by injuries this year. But in terms of minutes per goal or goals per 90, however which way you want to cut it, he's actually scoring at a better rate this year for Sutton than he did last season in being their top goalscorer in promotion. Of course, Adjaboy as well, who's joint top scorer with seven league goals with Alafe. Uh, you can see why... He's catching a lot of admiring glances because it was a really good run in behind, well found by Richie Bennett, um, just putting so much fear into opposition defences, particularly those two. But then, of course, you have players like Bennett and Bugiel, um, who give the, the other side of things as well, who can kind of hold the ball up, who can link play, um, more target men type. So it's not hard to understand why Sutton United are winning football matches because they keep a lot of clean sheets. Their back four looks pretty automatic at this point in how well drilled they are. Uh, the midfield two of, of Eastman and Smith kind of do do basically what all good central midfielders uh, partnerships do. Uh, neither of them the most creative passers, but both certainly good enough. And without the ball, very, very good for the level. Uh, and then the two wide men and the two strikers, whoever they may be, always look sharp, slick, skillful, ambitious, direct, etc. And that was very much the case here. They're also in the semi-finals of the Pizza Trophy, which is big for the club financially. That there's estimated that they've earned around £160,000 from it. Uh, that's per Neil, who's a Sutton United fan in the NTT20 squad, which he says will have massively helped with the costs that they were forced to swallow for the, the pitch and the ground stuff um, as they came up from the National League. So big, big things. Also big things, just a lot of positives at the top of League Two, because Newport beat Barrow 2-1, and George, it's not quite eight in a row, but it is four wins in a row, Barry, for Newport. <laughs> and we like that. Yeah. Um, Dominic Tuff with two more just sensational strikes. He just His finishing is extraordinary. The first goal, the header, um, he's, he's just finding the corners so consistently, which you know you may expect from a seasoned goal scorer, but we know that Dominic Telford isn't that. Um, Barrow came back into the game a bit. They... Ollie Banks headed wide late on, which which could have brought them back to get a point. Um, but Robery's Newport just look very slick. They look like they always have a way to score. And in, and in Telford, they have now 
the you know the 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 best striker in terms of goal scoring in the in the division. Um, so when you have a combination of a team who, who are posting the best attacking numbers and the striker who scored the most goals, um, whose finishing looks to be at a at a level where he's so confident that he can hit those corners, it's going to be a pretty deadly combo. So um, yeah, Newport rolling on pretty well, but it gets tougher now. Away games against Forest Green and Northampton to come. I think we're going to find out exactly how good they are. Mark Cooper digging out his centre-backs last week after their defeat and I can't imagine he would have been much happier with them here. The whole point was they need to be better at heading the ball away while when Dom Telford, who must be one of the shortest attacking players in the EFL, heads home quite early on uh, in your next league game. Um, yeah, not good stuff there and Barrow in a, a bit of a tough spot trying to improve uh, trying to improve the vibe by signing former fan favourite Adam Rooney. Um, wait and see how that goes. We've got a couple more bits and bobs here. Bristol Rovers 1, Walsall 0 uh, was, uh, well, really good for Bristol Rovers, basically, because down to 10 men in the first half, their eighth red card of the EFL season, three more than any other team in the 72. Uh, Joey Barton, I note, was also booked after six minutes of this game. And down to 10 due to Hull's uh, two yellows. But then largely untroubled by this Walsall side that seemed pretty anemic at the moment. And then right at the end, and you know I always got to say it, I have to say it, the Bristol Rovers fans make noise right up there. Maybe number one out of the 72. Up there with the yeah. best of them. The microphones crackle every time. And I absolutely <laughs> love it. Uh, real bravery from Harvey Saunders, I think it was, getting basically punched in the face by Rushworth, um, but getting his head on the ball, looping it up, headed in by Collins. And George, Bristol Rovers... Four wins out of five. All of a sudden, they're in the top half, only six points off the playoffs. I feel like for the last few months, we kind of set Rovers aside because they weren't very good. They weren't horrendous <coughs> either. And now we've got to bring them back into the conversation. Yeah, always the way in, in, in League Two, isn't it? A team goes on a, on a small run after a disappointing start and suddenly they're thrust right, right back into it. Um, the defensive record has got to be an issue. Was it their eighth red card? Um, of the season so far with Luca Hull um, getting a second yellow. But um, Aaron Collins with a very late strike you know, for Walsall. It's going to be frustrating for them having played against 10 men for, for over a half that they couldn't make that superiority count. They created very little. They looked pretty short of ideas. And after making a fairly promising start, you know, Walsall were poor early on and it felt like their performances were improving under uh, Matty Taylor. Uh, things have really taken a turn. Um, but for Barton, for Bristol Rovers, after a stuttering start, things feel like they're all joined up now with the fans behind Barton and what he's doing at the club. Um, and the performances have certainly improved as well. Mm, Bradford 1, Crawley 2. Bradford were the ones who, for a few months, I, I was waiting for them to be the team that start put to, uh, putting together a run in League 2 and flying up the table. They're going in the opposite direction. Uh, pretty toxic stuff, as you'd probably imagine, having thrown away another lead. Uh, the general consensus from Bradford fans is, we play pretty well at nil-nil, but when we go ahead, we then sit back, massively invite pressure, and we're not good enough defensively to avoid, you know, to, to just see it out. And when we go behind we tend not to be good enough to turn it around and come back and win. So um, problems for Derek Adams. Uh, as we said last week, it just it, they, they haven't got the winning knack that Derek Adams' sides uh, of yesteryear, or literally last year, um, have had. Um, but they were beaten by a good Crawley side. You know, I spoke about them on the betting show. I didn't fancy Bradford for this game because I haven't been impressed with their general performance level. And that's been... The, the opposite with Crawley, who in the last few weeks, as I said on Thursday, with Tunnicliffe coming back, 
have a back three of Tunnicliffe, Craig and Lynch, albeit Lynch was had to come off in the first half here. They had to deal with that, bring on someone that wasn't like for like in Cerula um, to come on for Lynch. Uh, just after they'd gone behind, they coped really well with that. The midfield two of Payne and Powell are just really solid double pivot in midfield. Um, and and the front three, you know, Kwesi Appi has been missing for the last few weeks. So it was Nadison and Nichols. Uh, and then Grego Cox started his first game for ages. Didn't have a huge impact on it. Uh, but Mark Marshall came off the bench and set up the, the equaliser just uh, four minutes later. So all of a sudden, the Crawley side that seemed properly like high and low at different times, who, who you know, you'd never... You'd never make a prediction because they'd always make you look silly, either by chucking in a poor performance if you thought they'd be good or chucking in a great performance when you thought they'd be bad. Now I feel a bit more confident in, in Crawley's performance level and it's a pretty good one. So, um, you know, what an unbelievable away day for those Crawley fans up at Valley Parade. An amazing 95th minute limbs, bedlam as, as Tony Craig headed them in. George, Stevenish 3, Harrogate 0. Port Vale 1, Scunthorpe 0. That's what we got to finish us off. Port Vale 1, Scunthorpe 0. Um, I mean, there's not a great deal to say apart from that this is a, an important result for Port Vale to arrest their slide after some poor performances. Um, there wasn't necessarily a great deal in this game. Uh, it was an incredibly scrappy goal from from uh, Smith at the back post to win it. Uh, Scunthorpe went close to taking the lead uh, themselves in the first half. Um, Scunthorpe's performance, level, performance levels are okay, I think. You know, they, they look far more solid now under Keith Hill than they did under Neil Cox, but they aren't picking up points lost their last six games in a row and they aren't scoring goals uh, the couple of goals they scored against Bristol Rovers uh, in midweek the only two goals I think they've scored in those six games so even though I think there is signs of some kind of solidity um, they are not getting any points basically they're getting beaten when they play badly and they're getting beaten when they play well as well um, which is not a good position to be in but massive week coming up now um, they've got Oldham at home and Walsall at home are the next two. That Oldham game is incredibly important, just as the reverse was that they won 3-1 uh, a few weeks ago. And then hosting Walsall, a team who are, themselves can't pick up any points. So this is where Keith Hill really earns his, his, his coin here. He's got to make sure that he gets this on top side ready to, to pick up the points that are going to be needed if they're going to survive the season uh, in the EFL. Stevenage, flying at the moment. New Year's Day, they were one place and one point above the relegation zone. And following the weekend's 3-0 win against Harrogate, they're now 12 points above the relegation zone, having picked up 11 points in five games since then. Luke Norris has been uh, boosted by Paul Tisdale and has four in four. And, and you know, as soon as he ran onto the loose ball uh, and, and ran towards the defence with them backpedalling, just felt like he was going to score. And he just kind of passed it into the near post. Really confident finish. Norris has had these little stretches uh, in his career and I think there's no reason why it couldn't continue for a, a few more weeks and who knows, maybe beyond. Um, but Reeves and Taylor in midfield, they've been excellent recently as well. And, you know, Stevenage for years had a, a sort of finishing hex on them and now it feels like they're, they're getting the, the, the kinder side of that coin. Um, I think they, they had four shots on target here. They scored three goals. They were all like nice finishes or a bit of luck from the keeper in terms of Reeves's shot from range kind of pushing it into the top corner but they're they're full of confidence and that's great to see for a Stevenage side that was lacking it massively I found Paul Tisdale's post-match interview quite funny here because you know he's he's understandably getting a lot of praise for turning things around and for moving them well clear of the relegation zone and he's 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 obviously pretty pleased about it 
But the things that he was pleased about here, he kept talking about how the structure was good, the shape was good, and he kept saying, you know, I've given them a really simple game plan where they all just have to focus on like one or two things and doing them well, and then collectively good things happen. But the way that he was talking about it, I got the feeling that he kind of hates winning like that. I think I think Tisdale at heart's a bit of an aesthete. Aesthete? How do you say that? Loves <laughs> aesthetics in fashion and in football. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to see if he tries to develop from here. But at the moment, whatever he's doing is working really well. And then I almost forgot to talk about Cobblers' win uh, against Salford. And that's because it's a bit of a copy and paste job that we've seen quite a lot this season. Um, a 12th clean sheet, which is the third best record in the league. A 16th set piece goal, which is the most in the league. Guthrie and Horsfall, the stars, the centre-backs, coping well with big Matt Smith up front for Salford. Important win for Cobblers after four without a win had seen them drop out of the top three. Shout out Colchester United getting an equaliser against Swindon, having been more or less battered, but most importantly, having been down to nine men, Emir Hughes stabbing in from a set piece to equalise and giving the Cole U fans something to enjoy. That's been light on the ground, hasn't it? Um, at Colu this season. Uh, a delightful Monday podcast to do with you, George Alec, and I cannot wait for the week that we have ahead. EFL 21 under 21. Where, what is it? Where can we watch it? I'm not going to say what it is again, but I can say where, where we're going to watch it. Um, as you and I chatting through the 21 players, 21 years of age and younger at the beginning of the year in the EFL that we think are headed to the very top. You can see it at 6pm on Friday on Sky Sports Football. You can hopefully see it many times on Sky Sports Football. After that, it's going to be on demand. It's going to be online. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on uh, skysports.com. It's going to be everywhere and on social media as well. But do tune in for that first show, please. And give us your, th- your feedback, unless you're telling us that we made a massive mistake by not picking someone because um, we're not so keen. We do often ask for your support and we appreciate every single morsel of it w- w- in whatever form. Um, but as you can probably tell, and it might be a bit annoying, we're really excited about this. Uh, this feels like a big, big thing for us. We've We've been incredibly fortunate anyway over the last few years with the opportunities that have been afforded to us um, thanks to the work ultimately that we did initially on this podcast and now are able to do elsewhere as well as this um, but we really are yeah we're, we're pretty buzzing about this one it's hard it's hard to keep the smile off our face but we've got work to do that's for sure to make it uh, as good as the vision a huge thank you to Betfair that their sponsorship of, of the NTT20 pod really does allow us to spend so much time on it you know, as uh, as freelancers, as uh, in, well self-employed, employed by not the top twenty these days. Uh, Betfair sponsorship allows us to spend so much time uh, researching this stuff and and making sure, where possible, that we say the right things, hit the right notes. So hopefully you've enjoyed the Monday pod. We'll be back again on Thursday, of course, with the betting show and Friday evening EFL twenty one under twenty one. Go well.